Welcome back to the journey. Let's plug in. You have 24 hours a day. Organize your day. Work hard. I'm here to talk about success. You'd think when you don't have money, you think that money would solve everything. And a lot of times it can. And we always have this chart that kind of shows up and it's looks like a U shape on a graph. So on the X axis is money and on the Y axis is complexity or problems. So when you don't have any money, you're in the far left side, you stop, your problems are pretty high. You start to get some money and then your problems go away. Your complexity drops down. And then on the other side is you start to get wealthier, whether it's from yours, from your own doing, or if it's from your family or whatever, that complexity starts to pick up again in an exponential manner, where would you come from a, let's say you're a, your family owns an NFL team or something like, you're probably going to have a tough time just being normal. And that sounds so generic, but they can't do it. And so I think, I mean, you know, this, the secret that I've seen is just wh whatever side you come from or whether even if you're right in the middle, mm -hmm. the secret is to learn, right. is to know where the person comes from, to know what, you know, what they struggled with. And for me, I always feel like you can steal a lot from, from, from learning, from paying attention to what they're struggling with, to what this person's struggling with. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of what people that don't have money when they make it up. Right. There's a lot of stuff that, that inspires people that are like, man, that guy's working his ass off. He's really doing it. And he's just got, he's just full forced. He's not looking back. And on the other side, they're kind of like, man, if I had a backstop, what would I do? What could I do? But oftentimes they don't think about it that, that way. It's, it's yeah. just, uh, there's a gap in the communication there. And it's not a bad thing by any means. It's just something that I know through my career, it's, um, you see the problems on both sides and it's interesting to say the least. Yeah. And I, I think that like you, you hit it spot on. It's about learning. And to me, learning is just becoming aware, right? It's like when you become self-aware, you'll realize that having money may solve some external problems, but not the internal problems or opportunities, if you will, that we all essentially feel. Yeah. Right. It, it's, it's sad because you get to meet a lot of really wealthy families and you see them interact with their kids and it's not good. <laughs> yeah. And then you see some, some poor families and they're, and that's all they want to do is go back for Thanksgiving. It's all they want to do is hang out as a family. And like the wealthy families are like, I would pay anything for that. And then the other families are like, pay anything to just have a boat out out there and be able to do this and that. And it's, there's no, I guess the happiness that you find is what's, what's in yourself. It's what's, and it's different for everybody. So I think that's the weird, that's where the real hunt has got to be. And it's something we talk to clients a lot about is if money wasn't an option and money wasn't a problem, you never had to worry about it. What would you do? And the answers we get back are hilariously wild. Yeah. Cause some of them are like, I want to be an oceanographer. I, you're from <laughs> Oklahoma or. I want to do this. And it's like, where did that come from? And, but it's just so interesting when you remove that element of people's lives and you let their kind of true soul shine through mm -hmm. what it is they actually want to do and what's important to them and so forth. So it's a, 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 again, it's by the end of my career, I'll be able to write a book about what makes people successful and happy. And it will have nothing to do with anything that I ever did. It'll just be from listening to all these conversations over the years of what these people told me, what was going on in their life, how they got to where they were, that sort of thing. And it, that's the coolest part because at the end of the day, they're all human beings. They all have a background. They all have a story and they all have a future. Learning about where that comes from, what makes them tick, it's just it's so cool to be a part of. Yeah. So what makes you tick and what makes you happy? 
How did you find happiness in your journey? I wasn't counting on that question being asked here. <laughs> I said you got to write a book about it. I was like, hey, let's let's start the let's start the introduction right now. So how did you how did you find happiness? First of all, tremendously great question. I'm going to stall for a little bit while I try to dig up a dig up a real answer because I can tell you I'm very happy, but I'm always I'm always looking at something different. I'm always right. trying to figure out what that next step is because what made me happy five years ago isn't necessarily what makes me happy now. Now I can say I have three beautiful little nieces and it is so fun to be around them. And it's, it's funny because they, they don't know something. So you have to, if you're out catching lightning bugs, yeah. they don't really know what's going on yet. So you get to walk them through the whole process. Right. No, no, you got to watch for me and they catch it and you gotta put them in this jar yeah. and it's brand new to them. And so it's a cool thing to do that. But as far as really makes me happy is I like to be in a flow. I like to have a routine where every day that I wake up, I know I'm going to be a little bit better, have accomplished something. And then I'll look back on and say, that was good work today. And it certainly doesn't happen every day. Doesn't happen a lot of days, unfortunately. Right. But when I can have those days, that's when it's, that's when you get that kind of, that kick to be like, let's see what tomorrow holds. I think as I talk myself through, that may be what, in my eyes, true happiness is an excitement to do more of it tomorrow that kind of dopamine feeling to go say, what am I going to do tomorrow with this? Whether it's the same thing, different, more or less, but just the ability to look forward to it, which I know a lot of people don't have. There's right. some days I don't have it, but I think that's the foundation for it. And then however you get there is your personal story and your personal things that make you, that you like to do. I like to do a lot of dorky stuff. Yeah. I'm big documentary, big history guy. I just, right. I, get, I enjoy learning about that kind of stuff and like playing golf. We do. Yeah. And I don't know. I'd say I could probably ponder on that for a few hours, to be honest with you. Do you believe in balance and finding balance or finding harmony between, like you said, your work, life, play? Yeah. I think that, I think you just hit the nail on the head there with the word need. Because for some people, if they're happy doing what they do for work, like you are, yep. you don't necessarily need the, all the off time to do this. If you're working a job that's gets you a, more pay than you can imagine, but you're not, you don't, you're like, I want to go home. Then you, you got to have that balance. Otherwise you're going to get completely burnt out. And then not having that, that rest and that doing what you want to do on the other side right. is going to transfer back into your, into your career. Whereas if you like your career and you generally have control of what you're doing and you have control of your surroundings, then maybe you don't need that. Like, but scientifically you have to have some kind of balance because, and I'm a big Huberman Labs guy now, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. they talk a lot about how, you know, these dopamine is this molecule of more, right? right. It's a molecule that makes you motivated to do things. Right. And if you have, and that's why it's part of the reason why if you have a huge weekend, right. you're at the lake, you're doing all this fun stuff, come on Sunday and you're like, I don't want to do anything because you've gone so far on one side on that dopamine rush. You come back in the other one and you're like, I don't have anything left and you have to let it that kind of re rebuild. So I think there's a scientific answer to it. This is you got to have something where if you're not just, there's a lot of people, I think when they're at work, they go hundred percent, 120%, and then they got to take a little time off. But if you're cruising up there about 90 and you're like, all right, I'm going to get a happy hour here and there and then do this. And then you can go back home and go to sleep. And you had a really fun day and you had all the social interaction you'd want and you had all the rest that you wanted, then you can probably keep that up for several weeks at a time before you physically get tired. So I don't know. I think it's, it's one of those things that's very unique to, to your own life. And so I very much believe in balance. I just, I think that how you find it is 
is really a personal and a very individual task. Yeah. I, I'm glad I prefaced that way without giving that insight from Alex, but he said pretty much exactly what you just said. He sent me um, a text earlier with all the answers. Yeah. I was like, there's no way he just hit that on the head, but it makes sense though, because I think that it's something that is found in successful people where they just have that insight and understanding that that's what balance looks like. Because the example he used was he would have girlfriends from the past who were just like, come on, you're always working. Let's vacation. Let's do this or let's go here. And the comment he made similar to what you just said was, if I'm happy doing what I'm doing, why would I go do something right. that doesn't make me as happy? So like, what balance do I need to find outside of what I'm doing? So yeah, And I've found in the last 18 months, I'd, I'd always been like ADHD. Yeah. I, I can't remember when at first and when they first diagnosed it or whatever. And it's not a bad thing. It's just something you got to deal with. But for me, when I'm in the zone, I want to stay in that zone. And I am completely happy just grinding through. And then if you're like, hey, let's go out of the club tonight. I'm like, that's the last thing that I want to do because I don't want to take myself out because I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And hey, let's go to, let's go to Cabo. And it's like, well, do they have Wi-Fi? Like, I'm not trying to be one of those guys that can't be disconnected, but it's like after two or three days of not having communication with the world and not being able to do what I really like to do, the beach starts to look like, right now golfing the whole time. That's, that probably changed things a little bit and (laughs) which it does. The last time I went down there, I had no problem golfing for four days straight. But, but then you just, you, I don't want to go on a trip right now. And I feel like it's weird because you, it's like the, you got on Instagram and what do you like to do? Oh, I like to travel. Oh, you're on hinge. Oh, I hope you like to travel. Yeah, we get it. Right. We, we understand you want a time away, but for, for us, <laughs> for other people, it's I'll go when I go. Not a rush. But yeah, I don't know. It's, I just feel like it's one of those things where we all like to, it's fun to go to the beach. It's fun to go to these places, but depending on where you are in your life, career, everything else there's some times where it's very valuable and other times where it's just a that feels like a wasted step right maybe save your money and go another go six months from now or right. go, go somewhere cooler or whatever it may be yeah are you a believer in delayed gratification yeah i've i say that i'm a believer of yeah. the, the practicing of this maybe yes. they look a little different sometimes i think it's yeah i mean it's if you don't train yourself for that, yeah. then you let that reptilian part of your brain take over. That's just give me this now, give me that now. Yeah. I don't know if you want to working for something. And that comes back to the original point about if you came from a, a not so wealthy family or came from a wealthy family, right. when you worked for it and it's yours and you built it and you see it and you see the finished product, like that feels good no matter where you came from. Knowing that takes time. I think that it's a very real thing that it has the same thing in, in investing. You can have a great day trade and it feels great. What are you doing six months from now? You haven't done anything. You've been sitting around at a 0% return. Right. And all of a sudden, after a year, you're back to normal. You're back to, you, know, you doubled a stock. Congratulations. But the rest of your account did nothing. So then at the end of the year, you're up X percent, just like the rest of us who didn't spend every day looking for the next big trade. Yeah. And there's, I believe in both. It's fun to do those short stuff some, sometimes, but right. if you really want to take a longer time horizon, longer viewpoint as far as where you want to be, then I think you have to, you have to grasp that concept of delayed gratification. Yeah. Is that a concept that is grasped within like your clients? You feel like the people that you're around, which are highly successful, highly competitive people, is that like a core trait that they have? Or have you seen successful people who are just like, what the hell with delayed gratification? It's wild. Every single person is a little bit different. 
Okay. And it does not, I cannot tell you, it does not matter from if they're first generation wealth, if they're fifth generation wealth. Yeah. I don't know where it comes from. I have no idea how they get this, but yeah. that's part of the difficult part of the job is that you can have two people yeah. that look identical, that came from the same city, same type of family, same everything, but yeah. they will have completely different viewpoints on that. And I don't, like I said, I don't know where it comes from, but it's something that we have to be mindful of because there are times where if we know that a client is more subject to the instant gratification, then we may have to build in additional parts or additional kind of themes within, you know, the investment portfolio that we're managing for them that are going to give them that, hey, do we, do we own some NVIDIA? It was just up 120%. Right. Yeah, you did. You owned a little bit. Yeah. It's not, it's never enough where it really made a big difference to them. Right. You probably owned it through an ETF or you might've had a 1% holding, whatever. So you're at 1% holding, you made hundred percent. Now it's 2% holding, but sometimes it's important to them to feel like they're in the game. And so if our job is to make sure that they, they trust the process and that they'll stick with it, it's, and I always make the analogy to like exercising, right? right. So you can Google all day long. What's the best exercise? Yeah. And you get 20,000 results on the first page. Right. You can go on chat GPT. Hey man, what's the best exercise? <laughs> Give you a whole list of stuff. Yeah. You got people that swear by, oh, you got to do CrossFit, you, you know, gotta, yeah. F45, solid core. You got to do the heavy weights in the gym. You got to run marathons. If whichever one that you'll do is the best one for you. Because if you'll pick a workout, I won't do CrossFit. Like I don't, my knees hurt now. I don't want to do that. I've done that before. Yeah, I'm not trying to jump off boxes. Right. On my head. I, I got I get a big scrape on my knee right now from a box jump when it went, went sour. And, but if it's something where it's like, you have question of whether or not you're going to get up and do it that day. Right. And that's not the workout for you. You got to find something else that you'll stick with every day. Each client is like that from the investment standpoint. So the making that kind of analogy is that if you ask someone, what's the best investment strategy? You'll get the same 20,000 results, right. chat GPT, same deal. Ask, a, ask a, a specialist here. This guy's guru. He's got his own TV show. This guy's got this. Right. They're all right in certain ways, but it's which one will work for you, especially when stuff goes wrong. Because mm -hmm. we always say it's never the bus you're looking at that hits you. So when something doesn't ever really go in and spook your investments or change the environment that we're in. Can you stick with it? And are you, do you have confidence in it? Because if you don't, then you're not in the right thing. So that's where, yeah, I think that's where the most important part of the job comes in is understanding where that client's mindset is. And then and it's not something we like vocally share with us. It's not like a counselor's office where you're like, tell me about your childhood. But you can get a feel from them from just listening and talking and getting their reaction. And we have, right. we have structured questions that, that we'll ask that are designed to kind of feel that out. But then that's when we do our best work is when we understand what makes a client tick, what level of instant versus delayed gratification they're really into, and then usually try to mold them all together. Uh, that's what makes for a really successful, both engagement from our, from a business perspective, as well as a successful long-term outcome for that, that client where they look back and they're still clients after 20 years. And they say, man, yeah, these guys, these guys get it. They've done me well. We didn't hit every, you know, NVIDIA that came up. But we also yeah. didn't, we also didn't own Silicon Valley Bank right. stock the early March of the year. Yeah. Well, yeah, that would have been an interesting time. I'm sure you would have been putting out a ton of fires if that was the case. But I do want to, you touched on being able to ask these direct questions to really gauge from their experience and their practice, if you will, essentially what they're passionate about is what I assume, right? How 
do you reverse engineer? Because what I imagine is that you may find out something that they don't even know about themselves or something that they're really interested in, right? Where it just sounds like, okay, you grew up around computers. Here's an example. You grew up around computers and, you know, your dad did, you know, he worked for Microsoft and, okay, so maybe your investment thesis would be better around SaaS, right? And they just don't know this though, right? So that was just like a left field example, but how do you reverse engineer and speak to your clients about something that you've identified a blind spot for what's what does that look like walk us through that yeah it's gonna be a tough one to answer because i'm not sure that we ever really documented the process as it was being built out it was one of those things that collectively over the years you started to figure out where the key issues were that really the clients tended to be most separate on and so when we do this we typically will and i i tend to do this to where if it's a specific client that I know a little bit about, or it's a new client, I'll tend to rephrase the questions a little bit different yeah. to, it, it's a little bit of psychology. Like I had it's, no idea it would be this much getting in totally, when I first started. Totally psychology. A little bit of counseling and yeah. therapy and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll start, start from the high level, right? Which then when they come meet with you, we'll talk assets, we'll talk investments, we'll talk right. tax strategy. Well, here's what my estate plan looks like. Here's all my legal stuff. What am I missing? And we can answer all those questions, but then we drill down into a values component, a relationships component. Who's important to you? What do you want for your kids exactly? What do you want for your parents? What do you want for your brother or sister? What do you want for this charity? Who's in your life that you care about, that you've had, that you want your wealth to make sure that it has an impact on positively? And then we'll go into goals. And some people's, I think that's the, it's probably the biggest disdain I have for the industry is like, what are your goals? Yeah. And it's like, more? More money, but that becomes a really interesting component because that when you can get them to actually say, I want $50 million, right? that may not make sense to me, but for whatever reason, they've had that number in their head for a while. They spouted it off that quick. Maybe that is just some level of achievement that they sat when they were in college that they just said, that's what I want to get to and nothing's going to stop me. Uh, yeah. And for the time being, fine, that's a great goal. Yeah. We'll start there and then, we'll, and then we'll incorporate the rest of everything. So we try to organize it in kind of this, we have a little chart that we use that's got the, the client's family right in the middle. And then all these little quadrants around it, assets, relationships, values, goals, this kind of stuff. And you start to build out a three, like a two-dimensional mind map of, of that. And there may be something in relationships. That's my kids. I want to take care of your kids. And that also becomes a goal here. So then you start drawing the lines all, the, all together. And what you end up with after that process, that kind of interview process, becomes this really interesting personality on paper that incorporates things that maybe they didn't know yet. Exactly. And what it also helps us to do is you let them look at it. And then you ask them, do we miss anything on here? And they'll be very quick to tell you, oh, you missed this one or you got this one wrong. Yeah. And so just seeing that template, I think, helps people to compartmentalize or I don't know what the word would be, create like an inventory of whatever it is in their life. Because uh, sometimes that we find that their goals and values and everything can be conflicting. And so when that happens, that's we got to take a step back because you say you're, you're high risk, you're low risk, you say you're this, but right. yet over here, you're telling me Actions. you don't want to lose money ever. Right. So that's not, those don't match up together. Right. What do we have to do to address that? So just, it's a long, interesting process, but it's one that I think the clients really enjoy. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever done one on myself. I probably should. Yeah. But it's one that, and for us, it's the best part because you get brought into somebody's life. You right. don't really know all that well. And you get to right. see 
where'd they come from? What makes them tick? Why is that? And that's the most fun question is they'll, at, they'll say something. And you're like, huh, why? Tell me about that. What's right. going on there? And then that's the counselor part. They'll dive into whatever it may be. And a lot of times it's interesting. The you'll see, I think more common is that you'll see people that didn't come from much. Yeah. Be very much risk adverse. They don't want to ever yeah. lose what they've built. Other times you'll have people that come from a really wealthy family that just say, I don't want to lose it. This is my responsibility. And there, there's no wrong answers, but it's, I've always found it to be unpredictable as far as what I think versus what they say. And so that's the importance of asking questions yeah. is that you don't make your assumptions. You let them tell you what, you know, what to, what's going on in their minds. Interesting. What are some like, trends that you notice because like for based on what you've shared so far it sounds very individualistic and it's case by case but is there any i wouldn't i don't want to say the word alarming trends but is there really any hey this is clearly a trend within the wealth management space that is interesting to you yeah very much i think that going back to probably so i started my career in 2006 i thought i was smart and came out of college and was like hey i'm gonna go into finance it just it was a thing to do i'm like i could have gone into petroleum engineering or something else cool and it was like oh finance is it yeah and you're like i I think i was six months out of training yeah and i sat there and i hear this uh, still on the news and it's subprime i'm like what is subprime is that something i need to know about yeah no don't worry about it and then you watch that whole thing collapse. But ever since then, so we had the great, the depression of our lifetime. What would have been a depression had there not been extraordinary actions taking place? But as a result of those extraordinary actions, Federal Reserve and the powers that, that, that be started a printing press in a very big way. And it was right. a free grab bag for everybody. And they were able to do so because we were still in this kind of structural tail end of what had been a long disinflationary cycle where just, no matter how much money you printed, we had what we needed. You had goods and services from over here. You had really, really well-made and efficient supply chains. And so there wasn't ever really a demand problem. Everything could just come in and maybe get a little more expensive, but nothing big. But where that money found its way was into asset prices. And so you had this period from 2009 or 2009, rather, to 2021, beginning of 2022, yeah. where free money was abundant. And if there's free money out there, just go buy anything. Right. It doesn't matter. You just want to own assets. And so it was very easy to just say, I'm going to put money in the market and it's going to go up 20% a year, 10% a year, whatever it may be. And I think that people have gotten very used to that being the standard that, Mm -hmm. hey, this always goes up. This always goes up that. And it had, and it certainly, and it was a long enough time horizon where a lot of the investment models will use a 10 year time horizon. Oh, wow. So guess what? 2021. That only goes back to 2011 now. So any ETF or mutual fund or investment manager that you had with a 10-year time horizon that went from, so let's call it 2019, yeah. that was straight lower left to the upper right. Yeah. You started in 2009, 2019, straight shot, sure, straight sure, to the moon, sure, right? Yeah. And then 2022 happened and people were like, what's going on? I thought I just did this and it worked. And everything went down, almost everything. And, and then in the last, yeah, this year pretty well, we've had a really big rebound a lot of this, the, the stuff. And I think people have gotten used to the idea that you don't have to do much. Just throw it in here. It'll all be good. And then we're off to the races. We don't need, we don't need to think about it. We don't need to do anything special. Just do this. And they're certainly right to think that because it's, what has, it's right. what has worked. But now you look at it and you say, now inflation is a problem. Now there is a cost of money. 
So you don't just throw money to everybody for free. You have to make decisions on if they're going to borrow money, am I going to hire this person? Like you don't just, I always joke with it, like you don't just add in a chief happiness officer because you know, like all these Silicon Valley firms, you just pop someone out of whatever school and you pay him 120 grand. What do you do? I make sure the parties are yeah, nice. Like cheap vibes off. Yeah. And, and that, that's important to have that for sure. Yeah. But I just, you just saw people doing a lot of kind of funny, not productive, not revenue enhancing things because it, there was no cost to it. Right. And now going forward, if you think about all of the tailwinds that were in place for that time period that we all judge historic returns on, not a single one of those tailwinds still exists. Yeah. So there is inflation. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be around for a little bit, not, right. albeit not as big as what it was, but right. still 4% double what we had for that time. Exactly. And then you're going to have a cost of capital. There's going to be a cost of government borrowing now mm-hmm. because we're having to refinance all this at higher and higher rates. So like now there's, now you have these things that are becoming reality. Um, and then you have a, a world that the efficient supply chains that we had constructed, you can't go to you certainly can't go to Russia and get anything. And then you have to pick the trading partners that you want to. So you don't have that reliability factor that just says, oh, we can get that, that piece of material from there easy. Or we can get, yeah. I heard from Frito-Lay, like they're, they were having a hard time getting the, the spices for spicy Cheetos or hot Cheetos. Oh. It's just weird things you don't think about. So I think that's the trend that's most alarming is that people have gotten lulled into a, into a sense of this is easy and all we got to do is this. And the numbers add up and see if you just, if you just take a 10% re- return and extrapolate it by 30 years, here's what you get. And it's, no, that's how the math works for that's, sure. Yeah. But that not, might not be necessarily how the actual investment works. So I, I just think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of reality checks that need to happen. Yeah. And there's no, it's not a bad thing by any means. It's just something I think caught a lot of people off guard last year. Right. And we'll probably have more years like that in, in the future where you just, there's typically never a 10 year period where what works yeah. looks like the last 10 year period. So like in, if you were to do what worked from up into 2007, you'd have been in banks, yep. emerging markets, commodities. Yep. And then you try to do that from 2009 on, and it was the absolute worst thing to do. Yeah. And so now it's, what do you need to do? You got to do tech. Yeah. What else? Nothing. Right. Just do tech. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and that's, that'll continue for as long as it can, but there's just never been a 10 year period that looked like the past 10 year period. So yeah. I don't know what's coming next, but I can tell you statistically and historically, it's going to look different. Yeah, no. Okay. That was great. Great insight. And I've also seen that trend as well. However, something I was curious about coming into this was the ones who are investing, people that are investing from your experience and what's going on in real time right now, are they tightening their pocketbooks? As a result, or are they still willy-nilly still investing because they're just comfortable with what has happened? But yeah, ago, right? yeah, it's not going to be a great answer that you're looking for, but I'd say a lot of all, like the all of the above. I think that especially this year, there's been a lot of people that have been sitting on a lot of cash and that are now feeling pretty kicking them themselves because they've missed out in this last you know few months that have just been like today, last week was just straight up. Oh. And when you look at that and you think, man, what am I missing something? And no, you're probably not, but you just got to be patient. But I think that for the people that are in wealth accumulation mode, where they're just working and they're just saying, hey, I'm going to put it into my 401k and I'm going to put up, set this much amount every, every month. Right. Yeah. They're still cracking along. It literally does not matter because you look 10 years out, as long as you got it in this little quadrant here, yeah. you're great. Like, yeah. 
you'll catch you'll, you'll catch a bottom in 09 or a March of 2020 at one of those right. points. And that single one will make up for all the bad ones that you made. So investing one-on-one right there. <laughs> yeah. It just, it, there's just a, there's, it's funny. I see that. I see a lot of people that want to avoid volatility. What is your friend? Yeah. It gives you a chance to buy in cheaper. It gives you a chance to do this and that. And, but I think that for the younger groups and I will compliment, like I'm an elder millennial myself, but the millennial generation has learned to save very early. So like they've been doing this for a while. So at that point, I would say, just keep doing it. If you trust that process and it's working for you, by all means do it. Right. Now, but the clients that we, I think that we primarily work with, which are entrepreneurs, people that are, have just sold a business or about to sell a business and maybe they're done working. Maybe they're going to go do some consulting or maybe they're going to take it and go start a new business. That's an entirely different, entirely different animal. A lot of them, it's very difficult to take your life's work that was X business, convert it to cash yeah. and then say, all right, let's put it to work. And yeah. it, for them, it takes them a little bit of time to ease into it because they've, they lived in a world where they had complete control over their ROI the entire time. And if they saw a problem, they go fix it. And that's a bit of an education process. I don't think I gave you a very clear answer there, but it's one that I, I don't, the trends are, I think the to, cut, to attempt to answer the main question, I think the trend is still very much fall to the wall, go all in, just do it. Yeah. But I think that if we get another, if we do have another, if the recession does eventually show up and we do get another re-rating where valuations matter again, and you get, you get handed to you pretty quick. Yeah. Two of those in, our, in a row yeah. may start to change that miss, psyche. Miss being a little. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because sometimes that's what people need. Like they right. need to get slapped in the face once yeah. or twice. I've certainly had it now three times in my career. Mm -hmm. First, the financial crisis. Then we had the European debt crisis in 12. And then we had, I don't know if you count late 2019, but or 2018 and then COVID. Yeah. And then you have these generational breakdowns back to back. And if you weren't, you didn't have a front row seat to that. They seem pretty scary. Yeah. But when you do, it's the best opportunity in a lifetime, which you got to ask yourself with COVID, especially we had to sit around and say, look, I don't know when I'm going to get to go see my mom again. I don't know when I'm going to get to do all this stuff again. Is the world going to end? And you're like, I don't think so. Yeah. But then uh, one of the best pieces of advice was ever given to me back in 08 was uh, this guy worked in the exchange floor. And he said, uh, he goes, you never, ever bet on the end of the world because it only happened once. And so it just oh, shaped dang. my mindset to be like, you know what? All right. It's down now. It's we're having a tough time. Right. Is it over? Probably not. Yeah. We're, it turns out, at least, especially in the United States, we're pretty good about picking ourselves back up and fixing problems. And yeah, you put band-aids on it a lot and they don't go away right away, but you know, you'll find a way out of it because we're all human beings. We all, and again, it's that we all have our drivers of what makes us happy. We all have mouths to feed at home or things we want to do. So people got to get back up and go to work. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, that was the longest roundabout answer to any of your questions I think you may have ever asked. <laughs> that was seriously that, <laughs> so that was, but it was good though. It was rich. And dang, that advice was so solid. Like for some reason, I just got a little peace from that. So I can only imagine how much peace and serenity you might've received back then. And to even think about that, you know, that statement when are you, when we are going through, you know, challenging times and Obviously, we're in an interesting climate right now, but at least you're not thinking it's the end of the world, right? Because AI is coming. Oh, my God. Some yeah. people are like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. We create AI. That's the last thing we'll ever create because AI is going to create everything else. And it's just with every there's every new technology that's come to mankind. Right. If you look back and read history, read newspapers, read everything you can read about what was going on in the kind of the 
public eye at that time, it was the end of the world. We're not going to, this is going to change everything. Whenever they invented the telephone, they're like, this is going to destroy marriages and families. It's going to destroy courtship. Exactly. It didn't destroy it. It just changed it. And then dating apps, it's going to destroy this. Yeah. It just changes. Yeah. We still want what we want. It just gives us a different vehicle to do it. When they built the clocks, first clock back in the day, right. it was just meant to be to regulate worship times. Right. Now we live and die by the clock. It doesn't destroy the world you're living on, but it does change it. And so I'm, I think the AI thing is going to take a little bit longer than people think to start right. really destroying jobs. But I do think it, it will, and it already has accelerated behind the scenes to help a lot of different firms do things that they can do better with it and that makes them more efficient. But I, I don't, I mean, we're going to see a little bit of time before it starts notably re replacing jobs. Now, of course, I've been plenty wrong in my career yeah. uh, before. So maybe next year you have, you know, a chat GPT bot answering these questions for me. I don't know. <laughs> I think you're spot on though, because I am not history buff as I, I've openly on this podcast, but I do love to learn. And studying history or learning about history really does open your eyes and awareness to what you just said, right? Like electricity when it was created. Oh my God, it's going to cause fires. We need to keep candles going. Right. What? Yeah. Oh my God. Carl. What about my wax business? So yeah, what, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Like, what about my wax business? And they're like, oh my God, cars, that's devil wagons. Yeah. And then imagine you being religious and hearing that you have a devil wagon. Because oh Lord. They look, uh, literally. <laughs> And because they had horses and they viewed them as members of their family. And it's just time and time again, humans are reluctant to change. And so that's the key. I think that's the key word to use mm -hmm. is humans. Like it's technology impacting us. You look back to some biblical stories, which I mean, it's why the why they're still relevant today. People acted just like we do. <laughs> they were they're a little rough around the edges in some parts. They're a little yeah. more murder than we do now. But uh, but you know they had the same human challenges that we have. So it, that's one thing I appreciate about history is that it's kind of it can act as almost like a test tube to go back and see how did we react to when this happened. What did mm -hmm. we do? What was the kind of what was the word and the in the vibe on the streets? I do think it's been accelerated now in a big way because. I always make the comment that like, if we had Twitter during World War II, it might've seemed pretty damn bad, Right. but no one really knew. Like no it one. took them a long time before they actually realized what was truly happening. And even now there are tremendous atrocities going on in, in the war in Ukraine, but we assume because we don't see it, it's not happening because, well, right. we, we have reporters, we have Twitter, but there's no camera there. Right. It's not getting re reported. You just assume that it's not happening. Right. And we get lulled into that sense of safety where I don't know. There's a, it's one of the, it's a never ending cycle and who knows what comes after learn language models and the current version of AI. Utopia. It, there may be some of some parts of AI where we just decide that, you know what, this isn't going to, it's isn't going to benefit us as much as we think. And unfortunately, especially on learn language models, it's a, it's a mirror. And right. you look at the problems that we're, that they're already seeing in those and it's, those are our problems. Right. We, it's not the computer's problem. The computer's just trying to replicate us. Yeah. And so what do you know? It's, it's, you don't like the reflection. Like you don't, you can't blame the mirror. Right. Yeah. No, facts. <laughs> facts. So when I think about change, I think about adaptability quotient, just overall adaptability to, to whatever comes in your life. And it's definitely something that it's personal, near and dear to me, because it's like a DNA of mine. It's just adaptability. So what is another way, another form to be able to adapt outside of learning? Because that's something we already talked about. 
for those who are reluctant to change, but want to change, but afraid to change? What's some advice you can give them on how to continue to adapt? Afraid of change. Be kind of like the people that are afraid of death. Like yeah. It's going to happen, but it is. there's no way around it. So yeah. if you can come to peace with that, change is always a reality. And it's always something that does not come through. We don't like it, but it's going to come. We know that. So if you can, step one is just accept it for whatever it's going to be, knowing you're going to be okay. You'll, you've gotten yourself here so far. It might be tougher in the future. You might do this, but you're going to be okay. And remember, there's no, it's the end of the world, right? If you're not, you won't care. So I think you kind of leverage that, put your back foot on that page and say, you know what? I don't like it, but it's here. I got to deal with it. And then, you know, I think you know, maybe try to make it fun, however weird that, that sounds. But yeah, you know, when you're a kid growing up, like you, you know, you got the reason why they send you out to play, like you learn new ways to do things and new ways to handle things, new ways to look at things. And if you can try to put a smile on your face and go do it, which I think is about the only way you can. I don't, I fight change all the time. I, I like the way I have it, but you know, it's, there's a, it's funny because I, I came from, I was born in Oklahoma. Yeah. And so most of our clients are out Silicon Valley, Dallas, everything else. The mindset in Oklahoma is like, I'm going to use my Oklahoma voice. If it ain't, it ain't fixed, don't break, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And then you look at what's going on in Silicon Valley and it's like, we're going to, we're going to change this. And they're like, what the hell, man? We like it here. But, and then they fight it and they fight it and they fight it. And next thing you know, everyone, I'm using iPhones. So I'm like, what are you talking about? You, exactly. you, you love this thing. Now, now it's easy to call your grandkids. You can do all this stuff. So I just think that the acceptance of knowing that it's going to be there and then knowing that I have a choice, I can get dragged under the bus with this thing right. or I can be put myself in the bus. And it doesn't mean you're like selling out or of giving up on your values. Like right. I would never say that. Always right. stay to your principles and that, that guide you, whatever those, those may be. And there are no wrong answers that I don't think. You can hold strong to your, your morals, values, principles, and then embrace that change. I think, that's, I think that is the formula for dealing with it and, it, and, and having it be where it serves a positive impact on yeah. you. Yeah, beautiful. It was another good day. We had another good day. And if you line up enough good days, fuck around, have a good life.